Right, have you guys ever noticed that where you're rooted in life kind of shapes you as a person? Like where you live, what, what city you root yourself in, it, even the city itself, even just being there kind of shapes you as a person. All right? So I've been in Flagstaff for nine years. Before that, I lived in Phoenix. I know, forgive me, whatever, don't Phoenix flag, all that stuff. But before that, I lived in Phoenix, and Phoenix shaped me. But now, as I've been in Flagstaff for nine years, I've noticed that Flagstaff has started to shape me and change me as a person. Here's the first thing, the first way that I've noticed that it shapes me. I, I don't like air conditioning anymore, okay? I don't, it's weird, right? Like, I don't, I would rather be in a building with no air conditioning, right? When I walk into Target, I'm like, what's going on? This is cold. Like, I don't like this. Like, the, the temperature of the city and how, and how no one has AC, except for Target, has shaped me to a place where I just prefer not to have AC. But then the reverse thing happens. When I go back down to Phoenix and I'm staying at my parents' place, I'm actually, like, cranking the AC lower than it's ever been cranked before. And my parents are like, what happened to you? And I'm like, I live in Flagstaff now. Like, I, there, there's just something that has happened to me where this city has shaped me in a way where... I, 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 my opinions about air conditioning are all over the place now. It's not, that, that's not the only way. It's also shaped my desires. I almost tripped. I don't know if you saw that, but I almost died. It's also shaped my desires. Like being here in Flagstaff has affected like my actual desires. Here's what I mean. When I first moved here, I owned a little compact car and I was perfectly happy owning compact cars, right? I had a little Hyundai accent. During the winter, though, that first winter, I, I looked like a little silver hockey puck all over the city. And so one other thing I noticed when I first got here was everybody has a Subaru. And when I first got here, I was like, ah, these Flagstaff people and their Subarus. Everybody has a Subaru. But then after that winter, when a Subaru would drive by, I'd be like, hmm, that kind of looks nice. And I started to go, man, I kind of want a Subaru now, like the city began to change my desires. I think that specific desire is called the sin of coveting, but, but whatever it is, where I've been rooted here in Flagstaff has actually changed me as a person. Whether I wanted it to or not, the, living here, where I'm rooted here in Flagstaff has changed me as a person. What we're going to see today in Nehemiah chapter 9 is what happens to the people of God when they root themselves in God's word. Last week we saw in chapter 7 and 8 that the, that the people of God came together and said, okay, the walls are, are, are done being built. What do we do now? How are we going to be God's people? And they went back to God's word and they said, hey, let's root ourselves in God's word. And today in chapter 9, we're going to see what happens to a people. How are they affected? How are they changed when they root themselves in God's word? Not only that, like today, today is going to be a reminder of who we are. As we go through Nehemiah chapter 9 together, it's going to be a reminder of who we are as the people of God. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, you can kind of just fascinatingly watch and kind of be like, man, these people are weird. But for us in the room that follow Jesus, Nehemiah chapter 9, it's going to be a reminder of who we are. And I'm going to be honest, there, there as a, someone that talks a lot on Sundays, preaches a lot on Sundays, there can be this pressure sometimes for me to say something really cutting edge or insightful, or whatever it may be. And I'll be, I'm going to be honest with you up front. It's not going to be that cutting edge today. It's not. But it's going to be a beautiful reminder for us. I don't know if this ever happens to you in God's Word, but when you go to God's Word and you see who God's people are, and you kind of read it, and you go, okay, I'm not crazy. Like, this is who we are. 
Like, like sometimes when we go to God's word, even though it's not cutting edge or, or, or whatever it might be, that it's just really ancient reminders about who God is forming as a people, that it, that it just helps us to go, man, that is who I am. That is who I'm supposed to be. That is who we are supposed to be as a people. And so we're going to go through Nehemiah chapter 9 today. We're going to see what it means to be, what happens to people when they're rooted in God's word. And it's going to be helpful reminders to us in our identity as God's people. And so as we go through Nehemiah chapter 9, I'm going to stop in three different places. And I'm going to look at three different ways that being rooted in God's word affected the people of Nehemiah's day. And I want it to be something that affects us as a people. I want it to be something that when we're in God's word together, that it's something that, that that's how God's word changes us and affects us and, and creates us into another people. So turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 9. That's where we'll be. We're going to go through the whole chapter today. There will be some parts I, I, I skip over for time's sake only, but let's start with the first five verses. So as a reminder, they just finished the walls. They came together as people, decided to devote themselves to the ways of God, primarily by being rooted in the word. And then this is one of the things they do next. Nehemiah 9, verse 1. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood a lot of Hebrew names. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, and a lot of more Hebrew names, said, Stand up, bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Let's pause there for a minute. I'm going to be honest. I've just been butchering these Hebrew names over and over again. And for time's sake, I'm like, hey, let's just gloss over that sometimes. And so a whole bunch of the people come together. And all sorts of the leaders come together. Notice, we didn't see the names Ezra or Nehemiah. I think this is intentional. I think they're trying to say, like, who are we as God's people? We don't, it's not who are we as Nehemiah, who are we as Ezra, but who are we as God's people? And so they come together, and they begin to praise God, and they confess their sins, and they confess their father's sins. And they spend time worshiping God and, and, and just getting their hearts ready for God. And it's a long service. You didn't know this, but the, the, the people of God in Nehemiah's day, they were charismatics, okay? They were there for six hours. Man, not, okay, whatever. That wasn't a good joke. So the people of Nehemiah's day, they, they're, they're there for six hours praising God, confessing their sin, confessing their father's sin that they didn't commit. And they spend time doing that. This is part of one of the ways that they're affected as God's people by being rooted in his word. And so here's the first thing that I want us to look at. It's an old reminder. It's an obvious reminder. But it's this. When God's people are rooted in his word, they're going to find themselves confessing their sin and even their father's sin. When God's people are rooted in his word, they're going to confess their sin and their father's sin. Here's the thing. When we encounter God's word. When we go to the Bible and we listen to God speak to us, we encounter his holiness, his above allness, his set apartness, his purity. And it doesn't take long reading the Bible where you go, okay, I've messed this up. 
I, I have not done, I have not lived life the way that I should. Like, in fact, I've sinned against God. Like, in fact, I've lived looking at my own vision for the world instead of God's vision for the world. And until Jesus returns, that's how it's going to be. Until Jesus returns and gives us fully new hearts, we already have that in one sense because of what Jesus did, but one day he's going to do it completely and totally. Until that happens, this is how things will be. The people of God will mess up. The people of God will sin. And so the people of God throughout history have come up with this discipline. This discipline that they would do together. This discipline called the confession of sin. We try to have a confession moment each and every service. And so because they realized their propensity to sin against God, to miss the mark, to really just be wicked as a people and as individuals, they came up with this discipline to confess their sin. So much so... That this is a key marker of God's people. And as Nehemiah is writing out Nehemiah, or Ezra and Nehemiah wrote it together, or however that happened, that two times in Nehemiah we see Nehemiah confess sin and confess his father's sin. And now in chapter 9, we see the second time where it's really the people of God together confess their sin and they confess their father's sin. Confession of sin is a key habit of the people of God. When you're rooted in God's word, you will not help but to see your sin. You will not help but to see where, where you are being controlled by your sinful nature, by the forces of this world. And so the people of God, as they confess sin, it's, it's, it's an important practice for us because it does all sorts of things for us. I think I, I've noticed over the years that confession of sin or the fact that we have a confession moment in each and every service, it's been hard for some people. It's been tough for some people. But confession, confession of sin is really not this dredge, like time of drudgery and, and shame and like where we're just going like, man, God, we're so bad. Like that's not what God wants from confession of sin. Confession of sin is really declaring the way things should be and where we've missed it. Confession of sin is really declaring what our true identity is. Confession of sin is really declaring God's true vision for the world. So every time we confess sin as a group, we're confessing we're not enough on our own, that we need God to save us. Every time we confess sin, we are saying, hey, we've been our own kings. We've chosen our own ways. We've been kings over our lives and not let God be king over our life. When we confess sin, we're, we're saying, God, we need help. Honestly, when we confess sin, we're becoming self-aware enough to, to notice some things about ourselves that will actually help us to change, will actually help us to repent and more truly become God's people. When we confess sin, we remind ourselves that we have forgiveness. This is something the people of God should be doing. Now, I, I, know, I know already some of you guys are freaking out because they don't just confess their own sin, they confess their father's sin. This has happened twice in Nehemiah. And this is something that's become controversial over the last number of years. Like, why would I ever confess somebody else's sin? Like, why would I do that? Here's why, church. And we've talked about this a little bit in Nehemiah already. 
We, as the people of God, are so connected. We are so truly one body that even generations of Christians before us, the way we, even the generations of Christians before us, we are connected to them. They are part of our people. They are part of the people of God. And for whatever reason, in Nehemiah's day, it really seems, I believe, in the Psalms as well, that, that the people of God thought, hey, if we want true restoration, if we really want to be truly, like, truly live as the people of God with a holy vocation, then we need to confess the sin and acknowledge the sin of the generations before us. I think in this hyper-individualistic culture, we've kind of like individualism, we, like, we have let individualism kind of seep in and convince us like, no, just confess your own sin. No, we as the people of God are so connected that there should be a practice of us corporately confessing our sin together. As uncomfy as that makes us. I would say, hey, if it makes you uncomfy, I, you might want to ask yourself why. Like, what's influencing you? What's making you feel that way? Why do you feel that way? Are there biblical reasons? Or is it the ways of the world? We, as the people of God, we confess our sin. That's what we do. This is a discipline of the people of God. When we're rooted in his word, we'll find ourselves confessing our sin. And so this is something we should be doing. Like, we should confess sin corporately, which we try to do every week. We should also confess sin privately to God. We should confess sin in close relationships with the people in our life, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and go, hey, this is where I'm missing the mark. This is where I'm messing up. This is where I'm not choosing God's way. This is where I'm choosing to be my own king. And we can confess all of the sin as the people of God. We don't have to live defensively. When the world comes to us and say, man, Christians did that like two, three, four, ten decades ago, we can go, yeah, I hate that. I hate that we did that. I'm sorry that we did that. Like, we can do that, church. Like, we can be that people because confession of sin helps us declare what's true about the world. Helps us remind ourselves about what God is doing. He's restoring all things. And the main thing he's restoring us from is he's restoring people, humanity, to their holiness. Away from their sinfulness. The reason we can confess sin is because God is covering our shame. Like, again, confession of sin is not a moment to get depressed and all this. It's a, mom- it's a moment to go, okay, God, you cover my shame and you give me forgiveness so I can confess my sin and all of it. And I don't have to hide any of it. This is one of the ways being rooted in God's word will affect us. It will cause us to confess our sin. All right, let's, let's keep going. We're going to be in the rest of chapter 9. And so what you began to see is the people said, hey, okay, now let's worship God. And I'm going to take a quick drink. And what the rest of chapter 9 is, is uh, some sort of a liturgical prayer. Like a prayer that they used in their worship services, essentially. And we know that because in the Hebrew, it has this kind of poetic rhythm to it. Like there is a poetic rhythm with uh, how it goes. It's not quite a song in the Hebrew, but it's not quite just a poem in the Hebrew. And so more than likely, it was probably some sort of a uh, thing that they read together in worship. And, and what we're going to see in the rest of chapter 9 is it, they, it's just a retelling 
of all that God had done from Abraham all the way to their day. And I think good preachers would probably summarize parts of it, but I want to read the vast majority of it because I need to put my money where my mouth is. If I'm saying, hey, we as a people of God need to be rooted in his word and it will affect us, and then I go, well, I'm just going to summarize God's word for us. I think uh, that will look hypocritical. And so I actually want to read the vast majority of chapter 9. I will skip over a few sections for time's sake, and that's it. Because I want chapter 9 to kind of wash over us. I want us to see what God is up to. I want us to be reminded of who God is. I want us to, to just know his word and be affected by his word. And so I'm going to be reading for a while, just to warn you. And for some of you, it's going to be boring. Kids in the room, I'm sorry. But pray right now. Begin to pray right now as I, as I get ready to read this, that, that God would speak to you in some way, that God would remind you of who we are as a people, that God would remind you of who he is, sustaining a people for, through millennia now. And so I'm going to read the vast majority. I'll skip some small sections of it. But let's listen to the story of God and be thankful for the way that he works. So verse 6 is where we'll start. You are the Lord, you alone. You've made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, the Girgashite. And you've kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made note to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by your Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and committed great blasphemies. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Let's hop down to verse 25. 
And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of, the ha- of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were dis- disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who, you, who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And then in, in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from their, the hand of their enemies. Let's hop down to 30. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we're slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you've set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document, on, on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. So the people of God take time together to retell the story of all that God had done and all of who he is. The second way that being rooted in the word affects the people of God is being rooted in God's word helps us to know God. It helps us to actually know God. Part of of why I love this passage so much and I, I wanted to read the whole thing is as I kept reading it a lot of times over the last few weeks, I couldn't help but, like my heart almost like swooned every time it would describe God and who he was. Like every time it gave a characteristic of who God was, there was part of my heart that went like, that, yes, that is who he is. That is who God is. And I felt my heart just kind of drawn towards God because of his character. When we root ourselves in God's word, we actually get to know God. That's not the only way to get to know God. We obviously have prayer because of the Spirit and all all, all sorts of other ways I think that God speaks. But I really feel like sometimes the surest way to know God is through his word. We get to know God through his word. Look look at all the, the ways we get to see who God is through this liturgical prayer in Nehemiah 9. He's creator. He's above all. He's worthy of glory and worship. And what we see, it's, it's not like this kind of like, we give him worship because he's a megalomaniac. We give him worship because he's the great artist. 
right? He has performed a beautiful work of creation, and we give him worthy and glory and praise and honor because of it. He's a promise keeper. He's righteous. He's rescuer. He's provider. He's life giver. He's ready to forgive. He's gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's a giver of his good spirit. He's good. He's merciful in the midst of rebellion. He's a discipliner, but not a destroyer. He's great and mighty. Again, he doesn't break his promises. And he's, gr- he's greatly good. Being rooted in the word of God helps us to know God. Because of our sin, our relationship with God is strained. It just is. Until Jesus returns and eradicates all sin, our relationship with God is strained. One day God will live with us, and it's going to be amazing, and none of us will doubt these things about God. But in the meantime, sometimes it's hard to believe that these things about God are true. Sometimes these things are hard to see about God. But God gave us his word so that we could be reminded about who he is and see him with clear eyes. Maybe this is just me. I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but sometimes when I'm in conflict with someone or someone's been really mean to me, I find myself, I feel like it's usually driving. Uh, and I'm thinking about the conflict, and I'm thinking about that person, and what happens is I begin, I begin to spiral, okay? This is my baggage and my sin. I'm being honest with you guys about, so don't use it against me. But I, I'm thinking about this person, and what happens is I, I begin to amplify what they did. I begin to add motivations. I begin to say all these things in my head about them. And really, what begins to happen is uh, they are not that person anymore. They're actually some version of, like, Hitler Jr. in my head. And what the Spirit almost always does, the Holy Spirit kind of comes in and goes, Hey, buddy, like, think about them the way I would think about them. Think about them with clear eyes. Believe the best in them, as 1 Corinthians 13 would, would cause us uh, to, to love them in that way. And so then I go, okay, what's true about them? What's true about this situation? And I begin to, to pray and think about that. And then all of a sudden, I begin to see the person with clear eyes when I wasn't. I think sometimes our relationship with God gets like that. Where for whatever reason, life happens or different things happen, and we begin to not be sure about who God is. When we have a God who's actually close to us, all of a sudden we start going, maybe you're distant. When we have a God who's loving, we go, maybe you're hateful. We have a God who is full of grace, we go, maybe you're without mercy. And going to God's word can clear our eyes sometimes. When we're feeling that way in our relationship with God, when we go to his word and we read these chapters like Nehemiah 9, we can be reminded, no, this is who God really is. We need scripture to clear our heads sometimes and help us to know who God really is. When we're rooted in his word, we actually get to know God. And it doesn't have to be this magical, crazy moment. It can be really ordinary by just reading words on a page. I, I hope that we could be so rooted in God's word that, that we get to know him more. Okay, the last kind of way that I, that I see in today's text of, of how God's word roots a people and affects a people is, is actually in verse 35, which I'll read again, but it will just be 35 this time. And, and, and it's this, is God's word 
gives us wisdom and insight into humanity. Okay, so God's word gives us wisdom and insight into human nature. Read uh, verse 35 with me. It says this, Even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. The... The people of God had gotten everything they wanted out of this world. They got every good created gift by God out of this world. And they still couldn't serve God. And they still did wickedness. And they still couldn't be his people. Verse 35 gives gives us wisdom about human nature. It helps us to see that even if you get every good thing you want, and even if you could say God gave you all those things, there will still be a propensity in you to not serve him, to not love him, to do wickedness, to live life the way you think you should live it. Verse 35 gives gives us wisdom. God's word gives us wisdom. Listen, wisdom is usually gained by mistakes, by failure. Usually that's how most of us gain wisdom. The beauty of God's word is very often you can gain wisdom about yourself, about the world, about everyone by just reading his word and believing him. And the wisdom of verse 35 says, listen, there is something in your heart that cannot be quenched. There is something in you that wants more and it will not be quenched. You could get every single thing you want and you will still not be satisfied and you will still find yourself turning away from God. And you will still find yourself sinning. And you will still find yourself able to be called wicked by others. Even when you have everything you want. That is wisdom for us to know about ourselves. I, I, we live in a country that we have a lot of the good gifts of creation. We have a lot of the good gifts of creation. And if we spend lives just pursuing those good gifts and chasing those good gifts and thinking, well, because I have all these good things, maybe, and maybe we're only thinking this in the back of our head or not quite at all, I must not have sin. I must not have wicked ways. I must be serving God perfectly. When wisdom tells us, listen, chasing those things, getting all those things, you still will have a propensity to sin. Getting those things is not the goal. I, I, I've talked to many people that, I, people that are Christians, people uh, in this church or in other churches who kind of go, listen, when I get to this point, then I'll start taking my walk with God serious. Once I finish school, once I get promoted, once I get a spouse, once I do all these kinds of different things, then I'll take my walk with God seriously. But that's not what God has for us. God has right now, right here for you to pick up your cross and follow him. Those things, the good gifts of this world, they will not satisfy you. They will not make your walk with God easier, necessarily. You want that house really bad, your dream house, or not even a dream house, just a house, especially in Flagstaff. It won't satisfy you when you get it. You need a car, a Subaru maybe. It won't satisfy you. Maybe it's a spouse. They'll never be enough for you. Maybe you want prestige or accolades. There's always going to be someone that thinks you're lame. 
Maybe it's beauty. You'll never look good enough. You'll always look in the mirror and think you're ugly. Maybe it's power or influence. You'll never have the amount you want or feel you need. Verse 35 gives us the wisdom to realize the good gifts of this world, of creation, are just that, good gifts. They're not end-all, be-alls. They're not going to quench your heart's desire for more. You need God. The wisdom is the gifts are good, but God is better. The wisdom is the gifts are good, but only God can quench your thirst for whatever it might be. Your thirst is actually for God. We need God. And the people in Nehemiah's day wanted to remind themselves in verse 35 that, listen, they had everything they could want, and they still couldn't follow God. They still couldn't serve him. They still acted wickedly. May we not forget that wisdom is for us in our day as well. May we let God's word make us wise in these ways. Let's not be a people that chase the good gifts and stamp Jesus' name on our pursuit to make ourselves feel better about filling the hole inside of us with the things of this world rather than with God. Let's not be that people. May we be a people rooted in his word. We've watched time and time again today how, what happens to a people rooted in his word. They gain wisdom. They know God. They confess their sin. This is what happens to a people in God's word, and I want it to be something that happens to us. Here's the beautiful thing, though. We actually have it better than the people in Nehemiah's day. We have it better. We live on the other side of Jesus' resurrection. We have it better. The story kept going. Right? If we were rewriting this uh, Nehemiah chapter 9 for today, we'd write all those same things and more. And we have it better because when we as God's people want to be affected in these ways and embody these disciplines or embody this kind of identity as God's people, we have Jesus to look at and to see how he did this for us. Right? When we confess our sins as a people of God today, we have the image of the cross and Jesus' blood pouring down the cross to atone for our sins and give us forgiveness that we don't deserve. When we want to know God, we actually got to see him in the flesh. Like God took on flesh and lived among us and some guys wrote the gospels so that each and every day we could see the picture of God in our midst and we could get to know him that way. When we find that the, the, the good gifts of this world are our gifts ruling over us. Or, or the good gifts of this world are our gods ruling over us, rather. We can ask the Holy Spirit to satisfy, satisfy us with living water. And that we actually have God's Spirit in us, living in all time until he returns. In all places till he returns. We have it better than the people in Nehemiah's day. May we be rooted in God's word and may God's word affect us and change us in this way. May we be a people that confess our sin and, and all of it. May we be a people that know God and have a firm grasp on who he is so that we can proclaim who he is to the world, among other things. And may we see he is the good gift. God himself is the good gift. He is the best gift. He's truly the only gift we need. May we be that people. May we realize those things. 
May we let God's word affect us in those ways. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us so well and for so long. God, thank you for showing us who you are. God, would you make us a people that our hearts swoon at who you are? God, I'm sure there are some of us in the room, there's maybe even some descriptors I put there that, that there might be some of us in the room going, I don't feel like God is that to me. Holy Spirit, would you do something with those hearts? Would you cause them to see you? Would you cause them to know you? Would you do something in their lives so that they know that is who you are? God, have mercy on us. In our brokenness, we don't see what's obvious about you at times. Because of sinfulness and the broken nature of this world, God, it just isn't obvious sometimes. So please have mercy on us and speak to us and love us. God, help us to know who you are. Help us to confess our sin, God. God, I, I actually do pray that we, we as a, a little church, a little local church here in Flagstaff, God, that, that we would be a people that see our sin rightly, and then we deal with it the way you would have us deal with it. God, I don't want to be bogged down by shame and all these things, God, but I do want to confess sin in the ways that I need to. I do want us to confess sin and be convicted by our sin in the ways that we should be. God, we need a work of your Holy Spirit to do that. And Father, help us to see that you are the good Father over us. That you love us. That you're giving us your grace. That all the things we want in this world pale in comparison to being in your arms. Knowing you. God, help us to be a faithful people. Help us to be this people. Help us to be rooted in your word. Amen.